welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck. And in season two of this podcast, we're speaking with responsive mamas. We're speaking with mamas that have met their children's needs day and night. Um, you know, no matter the hour, that child's cry is taken as a communication of a need that needs to be met. And today I am speaking with Jess Morosi. Um, who is the mother of three children and she's also the primary carer of her husband who is not well and we hear her story about how she has continued responsibly parenting um, through many challenges that life has thrown her way and so enjoy. Welcome to the Love with Elise Peck podcast. I'm your host, Elise Peck. I'm a best-selling author, certified mindset coach, psychology student, former lawyer, wife, and mother to two primary school-aged girls. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Jess Morosi. Jess is mother to three kids who are 17, 7, and 5 years old. And she also... Sorry for the bang, everyone. She also voluntarily runs a street pantry, and she's been doing that for four years. Uh, She comes from a family of... Um, trailblazers and is one herself and I'm actually really excited to be speaking to her so welcome Jess. Hi Lise. Hello thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome I would love to know if you could give your pre-motherhood self any advice what would that advice be? Oh wow that's a really tough one um you know what actually maybe it's not so tough um have faith in yourself have faith in what you are doing. Uh, I, with my first child, did not have a great deal of support from my significant other. And um, in hindsight, I can see that that affected me a great deal. And I wish if I knew within myself that that I've got this, I would have been a lot stronger and I wouldn't have been able to feel as though I was being labelled as um, not, not the best parent um you know if I if I knew that I was strong and that I was doing the right thing I'd be able to sort of turn back and say you know what it doesn't matter if this doesn't work for anybody else it's working for you I love that and I think that's such an important point that um uh, a lot of us you know a lot of people couple up before they have a comprehension of what parenthood involves motherhood involves and how vulnerable you'll be and how much you'll need so much support during that time. And so sometimes we partner out without really being aware of how this person will or won't be as a parent. And you can find yourself in early motherhood um, with different views and and a lack of support for your mothering and everything. Um, Do you have any tips on someone who's in that position right now? Maybe they've just had a baby, their partner's not supportive, they don't agree on on parenting styles. And is there any, beyond trust yourself, is there any other um, words of wisdom that you you give them to, to navigate through that? Again, in hindsight, I think it would be great if I had had the opportunity to find my people. Um, I notice more now... Um, because I'm older and I still have young children, um, that there are people out there who are similar to you and who have the same beliefs as you. Um, And if I had had somebody like that by my side, I just would have been able to power through. Um, And so in that um, exact reasoning, I find that I offer 
my support a lot to new parents as well. So my sister-in-law recently had a baby and we discussed everything. We discussed the co-sleeping, we discussed the breastfeeding, we discussed, you know, the feelings that might arise. Um, we discussed, uh, you know, how she may be able to deal with certain situations. And while she's so blessed that her partner is very supportive and by her side, um, having me there as um, somebody she can fall back on, uh, it just gives you just that, you know, the little confidence boost that you forgot that morning that you woke up and you really didn't sleep that night, you know, when, um, you know, and you're very tired and you're going, oh, is this all worth it? You know, if you just call up your people and say, listen, I'm really struggling today, you know, they will absolutely have your back and just say, listen, you're doing a great job and can I help you with anything? That's uh, such wonderful advice uh, because I think, you know, um, something, uh, an example my husband often uh, will used to use a lot was that, you know, fishes don't, you know, a fish in a fishbowl doesn't know it's swimming around in a fishbowl. It doesn't, it doesn't know that its world is a fishbowl. It's like, this is just its world. Yep. And I think a lot of us are in a fishbowl. And we think that everyone thinks the way that the our family of origin thinks or the five people around us think and whatever community we're in, it's sort of that becomes our reality. And I think it's so useful to know, like, you, there is a whole ocean outside the fishbowl and there are other communities and there are people that will be supportive. There are people with the same values. There are, and I think it's such good advice to say, try out different things and, and get around and see is there a place you get a better sense of belonging and values alignment? And that is so important, community yeah. is so important in early motherhood. Because if I had stopped at my first mother, um, my first mother's group, oh yep. my god, we've been like mentally, you know, crippling. Um, because there were very few that were some were bed sharing, but they weren't confidently they're doing it, and everyone was really talking about the sleep training and top ups with this and this and oh. about all the, yeah that was the book um and I was reading and learning about the dangers of everything that everyone was recommending and I was hearing about what was biological normal and and all this sort of stuff um only because my instincts told me to do something different and because everyone else was telling me the opposite I was researching to find out why I felt I wanted to do it differently and then I would try to say stuff and I was like don't I was hit with like don't judge stop judging and so you were just meant to be able to watch people talk about leaving babies crying and oh. you're meant to be able to see babies crying in prams and you're meant to be able to hear about people, you know, putting, you know, damaging their own breast milk supply by deciding to sleep train or to give formula or this sort of stuff. And you're meant to just all be like, oh, you just got to sit there and say nothing. And <laughs> it's so hard. That's the culture. Don't judge. Mm. And so like education is judging in some of these places. Uh, and so for me, um, I tried out a few different mothers groups. One of them was called Soul Mamas, and that had way more people um, parenting like that. And through that, someone walked up to me and she said, you're an attachment parent. I'm like, am I? And I went home and Googled and she's like, you've got to join an attachment parenting group. And that's a game changer for me, finding the attachment parenting group, people that were saying, this is our values. This is how we parent. And you could go to meetups and you could, and you could just get this sense of connection and um yes so I think I forget how important that is but such a good point is if you don't have support from the people that that are in your life at the start of motherhood you know 
actively try to build that community. So thanks so much for bringing that up. Um, I find it really interesting that you uh, that you mentioned um, that you'd found out that you're an attachment parent because I think that that happened to me as well. So with my 17-year-old, we didn't, I was quite young when I had him. I was only 22 and I had no preconceived notions on how I would parent, how parenting would go. Um, and we actually never intended on being where we were at. Um, it's, it's, it's so silly. We just, we lived in a unit and I'm such an, em an empath. I was so worried about him waking up the neighbours with crying. But the moment that he cried, it was just straight on the boob. <laughs> you know, just shh, don't wake the neighbours, don't wake the neighbours. And um, and the bed sharing sort of happened by accident as well. You know, like we just, um, my partner at the time wasn't sleeping very well. And so we sort of would fall asleep and then just stay there. And it just was so much easier. And I was like, why is nobody doing this? And you said, you know, you're supposed to be able to just sit there and listen to kids cry. And um, I can't. <laughs> I just can't, you know, and I think that's why I kept up with the attachment parenting as well. It's just like your baby needs you and they've got nobody else, you know. You are their voice, you're their hands, you're their soul, and it's up to you to create that environment for them. So, Same. It, it, it became a nightmare for me to go out in public after I became a mum because prior to becoming a mum, I didn't really think about babies. I didn't know much at all, and so I never noticed if babies were screaming or crying out in public. But once I was a breastfeeding mum and I had an awareness of what was going on for that baby and that baby needed to be responded to and to be co-regulated for its brain to develop properly, it became a nightmare. I would go to a cafe. If someone had a crying baby, I would start shaking. If oh. I had to leave. And to this day, um, I can feel a massive response if I hear a baby and I, I look around, I'm like, have they got a mum? Someone try like it's fine if a baby's crying and the mum's there helping it, you know, I don't care about the noise, whatever, like that's a baby. But I, I do get really concerned if babies aren't getting co-regulated, if they're not getting responded to, I find it really distressing. Um, and so that was a whole new world. You become a mum and you've got this whole new lens of reality. And it's like, oh my gosh, you start thinking about people differently in your life. I thought they were really nice, but I found out that like, that they that they just close the door on their baby talk like oh hey, gosh I'm oh gosh I'm rethinking I'm rethinking my assessment of people based on how they choose to parent <laughs> you know and it's it's a whole new I world I do too world. yes whole new world so it is nice to just find your people and um and get amongst it and with Facebook you can you can find online groups and stuff absolutely. like absolutely such a good point is look for people with shared values when it comes to parenting it's it's yes. much easier so um you've given us a little bit of an insight but if you could describe your early mothering years um you know the experience of becoming a mom and, and finding a way to responsive parenting and what it was all like for you how would you describe that first I guess year um definitely unexpected um as I said I didn't have any preconceived notions um so it was an entire new world. Um, I was very lucky that quite a number of the women in my family have been very proactive breastfeeding support people. You know, like I actually have an auntie and she, you know, was on the breastfeeding association and things like that. So um, when I was struggling, um, 
it was so great because I, I, I quite literally was struggling to breastfeed at the beginning. Um, in hindsight, I wasn't. My milk was just taking a little bit longer to come through, but the midwives make sure that you feel individually responsible. <clears throat> but I was so lucky I was able to call my auntie up and ask her for her help. And um, literally the people around me were surrounding me with support. You know, they were like, you want to breastfeed, no problems. You know, you want to co-sleep if that's what's working for you guys, that's fine. So while the adjustment itself was quite broad, the support was broader. So I was very, very lucky with that. Um, and just, uh, I mean, of course, you know, same thing with the parents group. You know, you sort of, you met parents and they weren't doing things the same way as what you were. Um, and then you found that you, you didn't want to be around them, you know, because they didn't sort of share the same values as you, which was quite a surprise because I think I did lose quite a few friends that um, I thought were a bit more supportive. Um, but, again, I also did have that supporting side. So I was just so lucky to have someone to fall back on to say, you're doing the best you can and you're doing a great job. That's beautiful. And and when did you decide to be a stay-at-home mum? Uh, so pretty much that was a straightaway thing, honestly. I, I, I just never contemplated going back to work. I, look, I'm very lucky in the sense that, um, uh, so my, 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 my husband, he can't work. Um, and so I am his carer. So I, I have had the opportunity to stay at home. There have been moments during that that I have gone out to work for a couple of months here and a couple of months there but it just um it doesn't feel natural to me which feels really bad to say because it's not that I don't want to contribute to society but I just feel my best contribution is to make my kids the best that they could be and the only way I can do that is to be here with them be there beside them you know as I said my children aren't at school today um one of them wanted a mental health day and the other one was really tired and if I wasn't a stay-at-home mum, I wouldn't have the opportunity to allow them those days off and allow them, you know, some days um, my daughter, she's probably has a bit more time off than she should. Um, she has a fair few mental health days where she just wants to hang out with mum. And um, I'm really lucky because I know it's not going to last forever. And I'm so lucky to have the opportunity to be here with them because time waits for no man. And um, my children have actually both just started primary school um, and I never thought that I would be um, the empty nester, but I do feel like an empty nester. Like I, I've spent the last sort of six years going, oh, God, I can't wait to have a day to myself. And now I've got all these days to myself. So I'm like, where's my little kids? You know, like I miss my little people being in my ear and annoying me and asking me for food every two seconds and um, but again, I wouldn't have that opportunity if I wasn't able to be a stay-at-home mum. So I am very, very blessed. I love that. And do you feel that, you know, society values the role of stay-at-home mums? That is a very difficult question. Um, I, I definitely feel like we there is just two clear sides of that in society, the ones that are like, they're our gold they're our bread and butter and the other ones who um view negatively on that um but at the end of the day the people who view negatively on that um probably weren't lucky enough to grow up in an environment where they felt 
home was home you know and um and that's what I try to provide you know they come home and it's home mummy's here mummy's there she will do what you need um people America especially they don't have that opportunity that breaks my heart for the mums you know I'm sure that there would be a lot more attached mums out there if they had the opportunity to stay home so that um is very hard but in general I really just think that there's yeah there's the two sides the ones that don't care for it and the ones that are very supportive Mm. and and what do you think is the value of a society where children have stayed home mums how do you think that that adds value to society oh look it it just it adds so much value it's almost immeasurable you know like um um, a mother's love and and look you know it's not just mums you know look dads as well look I'm not discounting dads um but your parents love is the strongest thing that you can give your children um I my mother wasn't an attachment mum but she gave me nothing but unwavering love and support and she still does to this day and it is immeasurable you know how comforting that is and if you can provide that comfort to your children where they know like my, my son, he's only just moved back from his dad's and he's 17. He'll be 18 this year. I suspect he'll be here for a couple more years, but that's okay because um, when you have children, you don't have them till they're 18 to start on their own. You have a child so that you can help them learn how to become a responsible adult and, um, and allowing them to have that home environment, that comfort, that mum, that, you know, I think that is really immeasurable in value truly what I feel like I'm really hearing is um the discussion of like providing a secure base is that that you want to provide your children with the security of always having this sense of a home to come to come home to and a a feeling like they want to be there and it's a safe comforting place for them and that sounds like a secure base when you can't when you talk about attachment theory secure attachment is um and circle of security style philosophies is the idea that children can go out into the world and they'll experiment and they'll take good risks and they'll be bold and courageous if they've got that secure base to come to come back to yeah Um, and that all of us in life need the secure base for our own well-being yeah uh, and our own life satisfaction and I think for me ultimately my goal is to be a secure base for my children to provide that foundation for them to then feel like they can flourish and they've already always got that security behind them yes and so you can take any leap if you know somebody's there to catch you when you fall can't you yeah it's a support isn't it it's yep. you're not on your own in life and and um and i i think having a parent that feels like a secure base is such a different experience to having a parent that feels like a bully and someone that you're yeah, absolutely um yeah and i think I don't know if there's any greater gift and that's something that um, that has really driven on the hard days why I've wanted to to give everything I have to my children. Do you have like a strong why or future vision of what you're trying to create that 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 has made you want to do this or has it just all been natural instinct, mother's instinct, not everything or do you have a real why for why you want to? Um, it is definitely natural um, but that said, I think that... Um, I'd love to grow up. I'd love my children 
to grow up knowing that I was there for them at that age as much as my mum is there for me at my age. And that starts young. Yeah, beautiful. So you've got a 17, a seven and a five-year-old. Um, do you have any tips for, I guess, there would have been a phase when you had a newborn, a two-year-old. <laughs> and I guess people want to know, like, oh my gosh, how did you balance that like maybe they're pregnant with their third and they're like how am I going to do this do you just have any kind of tips um I'll be honest I really don't um you know as I said to you things are quite difficult in our in our world and my husband he doesn't work so I actually um as soon as he said that I thought oh gosh that that just reminds me and um there was this time um where uh my daughter was 19 months old and my son wasn't quite a month old um and my husband was sick um and when he gets sick it's it's vomit buckets type sick and um and I'd written this status because I was feeling really just didn't know what I would do you know like uh, my daughter was crying because she wanted attention because why wouldn't she want attention and I had this newborn just attached to my boob and I was just running around the house changing vomit buckets and I just was like oh wow this is really full-on but it passed I remember thinking that day that it was just what have I done? You know, like my poor daughter isn't going to get the attention that she needs because I'm looking after my husband and I'm looking after this newborn. Um, and I was like, why would I have done this? You know, too many children, too many close together. My situation wasn't ready for this. But at the end of the day, I feel like no matter your situation, you can never be prepared for what may come until it's thrown at you. And um, again, support, 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 support. You know, if you have just enough support to be able to turn around and say, I'm having a bad day and somebody can just bring you a meal or they could take the kid for an hour, that is, again, great support is immeasurable. And in that situation, there's a lot of, I see a lot of people when I do, you know, um, responsive parenting posts, you get a lot of people in the comments section you know, things like mom's mental health comes first. You've got to sleep, train the baby. You've got to blah, blah, blah. And they're saying, wait till you've got two. Well, hang on now. You've got three and you've got a sick husband. Um, how come you like never sleep trained or whatever and you, you wanted to keep giving, trying to give every child what they needed? Uh, so if I'm honest, for about two weeks, I think I did try to sleep train my daughter in the sense of sleep train, put her back in her bed once she was asleep. Um, and then after two weeks of no sleep yeah. and... Uh, so sorry, just a minute. By sleep train, you weren't ignoring her cries. Though. No, I wasn't. No. It was just, yes. Oh, you know, the baby's sleeping, put them back in their own bed. <laughs> And I tried that for about two weeks and I just thought, why am I doing this? Everybody is miserable. Nobody's getting any sleep. Yes, society tells me that this is what I should do, but it doesn't feel natural and it doesn't, you know, and so I just gave up. I went, why, why, am, I, why am I fighting this? I know this is who I am, <laughs> you know, like why for two weeks did I listen to society go, oh, put your baby back in her bed? Um, it just didn't work for us, you know, like um, 
your baby cries for a reason. Um, I remember reading this story just before I had my daughter, which was fantastic. And um, and it wasn't a real story. It was just an analogy that a, that a lady had written to say how she suffered some sort of sickness where she was a, unable to communicate with her husband. And while her husband was very attentive during the day, at nighttime he would place her in her bedroom, close the door, turn the light off and just let her cry and you know his mother would say you're spoiling her and at the end of the story it was like well this isn't me but this is babies you know babies you know you you are so taught to attend to them during the day and then there's these people who just want you to switch that off at night time and I can't I just can't fathom it like I said I don't know why I fought my natural instincts um you know those two weeks of no sleep everybody was miserable and I just went, what's, what's, what is, do we want to be miserable and tired and unhappy or do we want to feel like we're unconditionally loving our baby because that's our job? Like literally that's our job. That's our only job. Bring this baby up and keep it healthy, safe, happy, especially. You can't just ignore a cry because they can't speak. So their cries are their words. Yeah, I think we dehumanize babies. A, a lot of society dehumanizes them. You'll have people that make sure their baby sleeps in another room, close the door every night, don't go in if it's screaming, blah, blah, blah. And they, it feels fine to them for a baby. But once that child is five or six and can talk and says, can I come sleep in the bed, they'll let them in then. And right, so that's strange. It's almost like they can connect because now it looks like a human, it talks like a human. There is some element of people not fully humanizing that this is a baby. And, um, you know, if your husband was in a room screaming for you, you'd be like, what, is someone in there murdering him? Like you would go and check what has yes. happened. Yes. Um, and babies cry. They can sound like they're being murdered too. So I couldn't fathom ignoring that. Yeah, and they say, I saw this thing once and it said <clears throat> a baby's uh, the a baby's cry um, uh, sounds as precisely serious as it is to them. Like they they are like screaming. They are so vulnerable. Like their cry yeah. needs to be taken more seriously than yeah. any other human's cry because yeah. that's all they've got. They are so vulnerable. Um, and you know, if they don't get responded to, eventually they go into fight, flight, or freeze. Go into yeah. they shut down, and they're stressed, and they think they've been abandoned, and they think if I make yeah. a tiger, might find me. No one is here. They don't have object matter constancy. They don't know someone is coming, and they're this there alone, thinking they've been abandoned, and they're there, and that's how at a time when their brain is the most neuroplastic and is most rapidly developing, and they're learning about the world. In the first year, you're learning about your relationship with the world you're learning about yep. uh, how much you can trust uh will people be there for me is this yep. a that signals great distress and great danger for a baby yep. um and then people are like oh they're fine they come in the morning they no. smile that's a fun uh, the smiling when you reappear is because they thought they're abandoned forever and now object matter they don't have they don't have the, they don't know when you disappear that you're not gone forever they think they've been gone and it's, it's an instinctive response that if I smile, you'll give me more attention. I'll be more lovable. It's not I'm smiling at you because I had a great time being abandoned last night. It's maybe this this is an instinctive thing to make sure I can secure more love. Yeah. Um, 
it's like a submissive type, uh, you know, trying to to get their needs met. And so I just, um, you know, because as you're talking, I can hear people say, oh, well, you transferred them to the bed, the bed for two weeks, but I just left my baby alone in a room for three nights. And after the third night, they learned to stop crying anymore. And then all of us got more sleep forever. And it was great. Best thing I ever did type thing. And I think for those people, um, it's good to highlight uh, that, that there are many people that are in much harder situations that manage to not sacrifice their baby um, in the midst of that. I find it quite confusing when people um, don't make the association between having a baby and losing sleep, yeah. you know, like that really just plexes down, like you, you've got to know that you're going to have less sleep. You can't, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm with you, but I find it really hard to, be able to empathize with those type of people like I and I and I as I said I'm a huge empath um but I'm definitely more an empath for the baby than I am for the parent so I just don't I get left not understanding it's natural instinct because um a baby is so vulnerable and it can't advocate for itself the adult can and the adult can can self can they have the brain development to do could they to talk to themselves and to self-regulate and the baby can't. They can go to mother's group and grief. I'm having a hard day. They can call, you know, I don't even. They can call a helpline. Yeah. Baby literally um, has no one. It's just there and it's dysregulated. So, I just think it's really you're a really good example of life can be tough in those early few years, but it does pass, and you can find a way to make sure that in prioritizing, you know, your you know, getting through it, you don't have to sacrifice the baby to the cause, you know, that you, you can find a way to. And I don't know how it worked out for you, but for me, my mental framework always went the most vulnerable gets the highest priority. So when I had my second, if they both needed something, I'm going to address the baby first to make sure they're okay. And I can talk to the older one while I'm doing that. I'll be with you in a minute. I can hear you, blah, blah, blah. But the baby doesn't have the cognitive ability and I think as society, it, it confuses me that we don't do that. We don't prioritize the most vulnerable first. We go, oh, don't judge mums. And we need to care more about their judgment than we need to care about the most vulnerable person in that equation that can't say, what about me, you know? That's, um, uh, so that's just, that's a great point. Um, so uh, as I said to you before, my husband's grandma is Junie Morosi um, and she runs a community um it's it was a um it was sort of like a a new concept when she first introduced it uh and it's a lot about the community working together to make sure everybody's living their best life and um and the community comes with rules and the number one rule is that children come first that children have priority because they won't be children forever because if they want to say something, it's because they feel like they need to say something. It's not to be ignored. Um, and, I mean, they're, they're the rules sort of down to if somebody wants to be singing karaoke but the kids want to play Lego in front of the TV, the kids will get to play Lego in front of the TV because that's the rules. You know, the kids come first because, you know, we're, we're their best advocate to learning how to grow up and, yeah. I love that. And it makes so much sense when you look at um, development and you look yeah. at uh, underdeveloped 
children children's brains are and how their brains are only going to develop prop, uh, properly if they've got calm adults that are willing to help develop them by by responding to them and being there for them. So of course they have to come first because adults have the capacity for so much more and to be so much more dependent. But yep. babies are born, you know, so premature compared to other mammals. Other mammals come out walking around, they just take their first step. And, you know, um, I know like mice and rodents are like having babies on like day 21. You know what I mean? They're, they're like the other mammals are born so much more developed. Humans are the most underdeveloped mammals. They're born very dependent. It's almost yeah. like they needed a pouch. They're almost like a, a marsupial or a pouch. Yeah. <laughs> they need the womb experience. To get, they are dependent and they only become independent as adults and, and able to regulate themselves to get that them that dependency when they're when they're young yes. um, and I think a lot of people get confused I think I want this thing independent right away uh, and that's just not how their brains work their brains aren't ready for that it's like asking them I once saw Pinky Mackay um, say you know asking a baby to self-soothe is as futile as asking it to ride a bike like it does not have the development for that skill self is a is a skill that is that develops um as you're older years down the track as you get the parts of the brain that are able to self-regulate do the self-talk do the self-calming and babies don't even have that part of the brain um so yeah and yet everybody expects that they should and <laughs> yeah. yeah and the reason they did is because there are some babies like my second that um they have a very uh, mellow temperament as babies and they're so they're so calm that they don't even need soothing I mean yeah. I had a baby walker anyway and it, you know once she woke up out of her sleepy newborn phase she certainly needed a lot of co-regulation but there are some that do naturally um soothe but that's not because they're actually soothing themselves. They are just naturally calm. So they can just watch their hands and go to sleep, not because they were trained, but because, but then everyone's like, maybe we can get all babies to do that. No, they have a different, <laughs> you can't teach that skill. If yeah. your baby can have that temperament, you can't literally teach their brain how to have a different temperament. And we, we need to know that all humans are on a spectrum and you respond to the baby in front of you. You don't try to get it to be like a different baby. Um. So I love you. You're perfect now. Change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So uh, when I was pregnant, I did a yoga class, and um, there was a poem that we got to say to our babies, and it ended with like, "There is nothing you could do that would ever make me stop loving you," or something like that, and it was so beautiful. Um, do you have any tips or advice for for mothers um, at the start of their journey? uh definitely again find your people um it doesn't it's not going to happen straight away you know you may join five different mothers groups and five find five different sets of women who have different values than you uh but you may find the sixth one and then they're your people and when you find your people you are you've got the strength of the world in front of you Beautiful. And what has been the most rewarding part of motherhood for you? Oh, I could I couldn't even. I really couldn't even. There's so many things, just the smallest things. Uh, my daughter is amazing at art. She definitely doesn't get it from me. Um, but she'll come up 
to me with these spectacular drawings that should have been driven by drawn by a 12 year old and she's seven and I'm like wow that is amazing or when my son would just come up and like my 17 year old I am so lucky he still says love you mum bye he still gives me cuddles he still gives me kisses um I couldn't be more lucky on that I'm aware of that it won't last forever uh my other little dude you know he just comes up and says random things like oh I really like doing this today you know and um it just it's great because you can see them grow and learn and um you, you see them adapt to the world but stay themselves and you can turn around at the end of the day and say my kid's amazing and that's because I gave them the environment to be able to become themselves that's so beautiful I gave them the environment to be able to come become themselves yeah sounds like you have a beautiful connection into the teenage years with your son and I think you know when they're little and in our care we have a lot of power over their world and we can protect them but as they get older all we have left is the connection that we have with them um, and I think it's really wise to be parenting now for the connection that you want to build and have when they have complete agency to choose to do and be wherever they want to be um, that all that's left is is the bond that you you know doesn't matter how much you were able to boss them around and control them and dominate them as they're little now they're older you know the puppy's grown into a dog is that dog going to bite you um, yeah. away from you or does it know if it comes near you it's just going to get a patch it's going to get a hug um, and you're a secure base you know that's yeah. all you it's a connection mm. definitely Beautiful. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you kind of thought would be important to share today? Um, any sort of final message that I, I haven't touched on? Uh, not really, because you're like my people. So you understand attachment parenting and um, I just feel like the people that I understand it and are involved with it are just so lucky, you know, they're just they're definitely my people. They're my soul sisters, you know, and you're doing a great job, you know, really and truly, no matter who doubts you. When your children get older and you can see the environment that you've had for them has managed to create the person that they've become and that's an amazing person, you can step back and say, my hands-on love was a great thing. Oh, that's so beautiful. Reminds me of a quote, I don't know, I'm thinking of this quote from the Beatles, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Yeah. I love it. The love, the love that you make and you give to your children is kind of the bond that you create with them. Life. Absolutely. So and it happens from day one. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Jess. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And I think some, thank you know. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Love with Elise Peck. If you're in your early motherhood or pregnant um, or in a season of balancing three children, I hope that that episode brought you a sense of inspiration and um, knowing that, uh, you know, challenges do pass and when we're all in this together, no one's doing it alone. 
There's plenty of people walking the path with you. If you'd like to find out more about me, Elise Peck, you can head to my website, elisepeck.com. And I hope to connect with you on another episode of Love with Elise Peck very soon. Bye for now.